nighttime episode. Oh yeah. What is up and welcome back to the Daily Traders Podcast. This is episode number 25. Wow, we're moving along. Yeah. I'm your host, Mark. This is my co-host, Jack. Today, up, we're joined joined, sorry, by Gov Blacksburg. Okay, he's the CEO of Wolf Financial with 150,000 followers on Twitter. Welcome. Thank you so much, guys. Great being on here. Yeah, it's cool. good to have you. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before and I'm very excited for this. Pretty cool. Quick disclaimer, uh, we are not financial advisors. We cannot give any financial advice. Nothing said in this episode should be taken as financial advice. The full disclaimers is in the description below. Thanks. So you are pretty big on Twitter. We'll definitely get into that later on in the episode. But I think for our viewers, uh, what really intrigues people is your journey as an entrepreneur. So if you want to start us from maybe even your high school career, any entrepreneurial endeavors back then and kind of uh, the whole storyline from then to now. Yeah, for sure. I've always leaned into the entrepreneurial side, as you put it. It really started back in the 11th, 12th grade area. First off, that's how I got into finance was in 11th grade. My school ran a grade-wide investing competition on MarketWatch where it was everybody against each other. Nice. And honestly, most people didn't even take it that seriously. But for some reason, something just clicked in me. And all of a sudden, I'm finding myself, it's like 9.30 a.m. physics class. I'm just sitting in the back trading. <laughs> and you know, it was like this fake $100,000 portfolio, but I really dived into it. I was sitting there trading in classes. I stopped going to recess. I started just showing up to my economics professor's office during our breaks, just like talking over stocks. What, what could we trade? So that's where it all got started. In 12th grade, I did start my first company. I noticed that there was a pretty significant arbitrage opportunity. I grew up in a Jewish Orthodox community. There was two things that Jews love doing that is celebrating and eating food. And in that vein, everybody had to pay for kosher food as well. And there were only two kosher catering companies in our town. So I looked at this and said, like, these guys must be charging absorbent amounts. There is no competition. So I basically created a kosher catering and waitering company in 12th grade, hired a bunch of my friends and just charged people 50% of the price and basically just took over a lot of the town. So that was the first entrepreneurial endeavor. I uh, went to college after that, Drex University, was very active at Drexel. I uh, was president of my class, president of the finance club, president of my fraternity, a uh, bunch of other stuff, just kind of running through in different areas. Uh, graduated from Drexel, uh, had some really cool work experiences, worked at Goldman Sachs uh, for a little while doing private wealth management. Uh, my team there was managing five and a half billion AUM. I uh, had a really cool experience where I was able to now just sit in on these calls with clients. I was very client facing during that time. So less trading and actually moving money and more of an explaining on a daily basis to clients what was happening in the market and what was happening within their portfolios. After Goldman, I had the opportunity to enter the private markets, which was really fascinating to me because I'd only ever known public markets. Started at a company called Versa Private Equity. And at Versa, we were doing a bunch of stuff. I mean, they had a 10 10 company portfolio of distressed assets. And we were basically just working with their CEOs, their management teams on a daily basis, making sure the companies had what they need to be profitable, trying to rebuild them and ultimately actually flip them. So we were on the buy, rehab and sell type of trajectory. Okay. And then after that, uh, went into the startup world. So uh, I can kind of go into the story if you guys want me to about yeah, how yeah, Wolf totally. there, but that was, that was the entrepreneurial background. I love okay. it. Yeah, that's cool. And just to preface this, you know, you're 24, which is very yes. impressive. Just thought that was important, you know, because that's a that's a pretty impressive portfolio of things to have done uh, by 24 years old. But yeah, I like staying us, busy. Tell us about the startup. How did it go, and how you got yeah, here? Yeah, for sure. So Wool Financial came about when I was finishing up my. Well, I was working at the private equity firm, and then COVID hit. This was March of 2021 very vividly remember kind of sitting there through our meetings, realizing that things were about to get real bad for our portfolio companies. Uh, I basically was actually just spending my last couple of weeks combing through bills that the United States was putting out, just looking for any free money we could get to basically bail out our portfolio companies. <laughs> and I realized that that was not a path that I wanted to go down for the next year. Had this opportunity when I got a call from a couple of college buddies to come in on a startup, which was Wolf Financial at the time, and build out a social finance app. Uh, came in working in an operations role, which was different for me because I was always used to being the finance guy. And it was really fun for me working in operations. I definitely love being at the helm, telling people what to do, kind of making the moves at the same time. Because for me, I'm always working. So it's really nice to be an op opportunity to like oversee others as well. 
After about eight, nine months in that role, we had enough of a product to start going to market. So we needed someone to run marketing. And that was kind of just thrown on me because I like social media. Went ahead and created all of our social accounts and really started leaning into Twitter. Don't know why Twitter spoke to me the most. I think it was just this short form, quick interaction that I could do from anywhere. I didn't have to have a video set up. I didn't have to have anything. I could just be interacting and people were responding well to it. It was going okay for about six months. And then things really got nuclear once Twitter spaces came into the picture. Twitter introduces Twitter spaces in December of 2020. People start finding it in March of, well, December 2021, I want to say. Yeah, yeah. December 2020, people start finding it in March of 2021. And I listen to one or two Twitter spaces and go, this is the next big thing. I feel like I had found Facebook ads in like the early days. I don't know if you guys remember, but like Facebook ads were like crazy in the early days. Like your oh, ROI yeah. was insane how many yeah. people you were hitting. Mm-hmm. And I looked at spaces and said like, this can be that. Immediately went and just started cold DMing and cold emailing people who worked at Twitter uh, with like personalized DMs. Like, oh, you're the Android tech lead. That's so cool. You know, and got into uh, some relationships there that I still have at Twitter got access to Twitter spaces, and things just started ramping up. Uh, my first week running Twitter spaces, which by the way, at the same time, nobody had ever run an organized Twitter space. Really? Twitter spaces were literally just something that someone had opened up a space, right? A couple friends joined in. They had a discussion like, oh, this is cool. I was like, screw that. Like, I want organized. I want to invite seven different panelists. They're all going to know what they're talking about. We're going to do full stock pitches. And it just got rolling. Our first spaces were already having thousands of people coming. I was getting a thousand followers a week out of nowhere on this small account. And long story short, that grew for the next seven, eight months to a point where now there was 30,000 people. I was the spaces guy, but at the same time, I'm building this all for a startup that's not really mine, right? I own part of it, but it's not mine. Mm -hmm. And long story short, the startup ended up having to make a major pivot when they went to raise capital. At that point, they decided that they wanted to change the business model as well as the brand. I was left in a decision where it was, do you want to go somewhere new? Do you want to move with this brand maybe as they get sold off, things like that? And instead, I took the position that I loved what I built. I didn't think anybody else could replace me on those center spaces. And I used equity that I owned in the company to buy the whole entire World Financial brand, spin it off as my own, go full-time, 40 hours a week with Twitter spaces. And that was 11 months ago. And now we're Sitting about almost 100,000 followers later, a lot of good times on Twitter spaces and a successful business model. Wow. That's cool. So correct me if I'm wrong, but at the point where you were like, hey, I just kind of, you know, I grew this thing, the Wolf Financial, where you were hosting all these live spaces. Was it making money at that time? No, no, we we never I tried to monetize it. The goal wasn't to monetize or make any money off it. It was simply an onboarding strategy to get people into our app. Okay, so, so you sold your equity. What was it valued at, the company? Okay. Uh, I don't know how many details I can go into specifically. I don't want to talk through the company, percentages, mm-hmm. but what I will say is that equity now is worth seven figures. Okay. Wow. So you took a seven-figure risk, or maybe high six figures at the time, <laughs> to pretty much take over this Twitter account. That's a pretty big entrepreneurial risk yeah like it was a bit, yeah it well, was yeah i'm curious like what was your um motivation behind that yeah so this didn't just happen there was a lot of discussion and the biggest thing that helped me out in these moments was mentors mm-hmm. and these are where mentors are so key even at an early age right because yeah. how, how do we know how to make these decisions like what's our right move for us you have mm-hmm. to talk to people that have experience so i had two great mentors that i sat down and talked with and they both made awesome points one of them made the point that equity is such a fickle thing You just never know when you're actually going to get to a liquidity stage where equity is actually something that you can pull out of a business. Down rounds happen, right? The company could feasibly have gone down. And the company, I mean, was only a year or two old at this point. Like they weren't anywhere near to materializing, even though they had this eight-figure valuation. um, It wasn't at that point yet. So I had to remember that I'm trading in something, yes, that has a lot of value technically, but it's not materialized value and it might not be for a long time. The other side of things was my other mentor telling me, you have found something that you love to do, right? Yeah. Like, do you know how valuable that is in life? Yeah. People would pay a million plus, you know, for something like that. Are you really ready to walk away from it? And I, and I just wasn't, you know, when they made that comment to me. And it wasn't even like I had this easy opportunity to go buy it. They were ready to sell this thing off, right? They were getting great offers for it. 
um, I had to come back to the table and say, and fight for, you know, this is mine. I built this. Wow. I deserve this. Yeah. Here's what I'm offering and negotiate that deal. Dang. Yeah. And I can tell you're so passionate about this and, you know, to, we, we just got into the Twitter space and it's hard to grow a following. A hundred thousand yeah. followers is insane. We're at like 600 followers. Yeah. We, we started a couple of weeks ago. Right. So it's very impressive what you've done. And I'm curious, like, so how are you monetizing this, this platform you have, this audience you have? For sure. The main way is kind of like radio selling hours and slots on Twitter spaces. So people that come into my spaces, there's two different types of spaces that I'll run and that I'll monetize through. One of them is simply ad reads like you would hear on radio, but the content is pre-customized around whoever's sponsoring. So I talked to earlier with you guys, Seeking Alpha is a great sponsor of mine. You know, they're like the largest investing community in the world, millions of people using it. Sure. We do trading spaces and market sentiment spaces with Seeking Alpha every single week. They'll come on. We'll just talk about what's going on in the market. We'll talk about live trades. We'll have a member from the Seeking Alpha team that comes into the space. And every 20 minutes or so, I'll just tell my audience why I love Seeking Alpha, why I use it every single day, right? how I use it for stock ideation, for fundamental research, to publish articles, everything along those lines. And I was able to get from my audience a special 60% off deal as well. So okay. it actually was a nice benefit for them where now I was able to get them this big benefit, plus they're getting the space for free, right? That's one way. And then the other way is something more along an AMA style or a due <clears throat> diligence style where companies will actually uh, pay to come on for an hour. Yep. And we basically just deep dive and dig into their model, into who they are and kind of do these live due diligence sessions. I've actually started doing them with public companies too. Wow. Uh, kind of like this investor foray where they get to come on and really just show off everything about them that they really want to talk about. But at the same time, it's live and it's not a safe space. Yeah. We throw whatever questions we have out. I bring on different speakers who have not been told you can't ask about anything, right? Wow. Like it is, it, it is this live area and it's worked out really well. And I found that you know, because companies know that it is not that type of safe space, yep. the only ones that are coming on are ones that are very confident in their business model. Oh, I'm and sure. I think it's a dual purpose because people find interesting companies, they listen to interesting concepts, they learn from new entrepreneurs, and the companies get to connect with my audience, right? Connect with other people's audiences. So it really works well. And I kind of facilitate that. Yeah, the live thing is crazy. Like, obviously, this isn't live. If something, if we say something awful, we can cut it out. I'm sure you've had some. Yeah, any good, any good stories, any good mess-ups on live? Yeah, so I keep my spaces pretty professional, okay. uh, but there are certain like rules. For example, cursing's fine in my spaces. People always are like, can I, or worried if they do, or apologizing. It's fine. I don't care. Uh, I, I actually kind of, I model my spaces off of some of the podcasts that I listen to. Okay. I'm a big podcast guy. It's like, Strange, but like music to me is a social thing. I listen to music with people. I don't really listen to music by myself. I listen to podcasts uh, and I'm always listening to really famous hosts and I pick up on the way that they run their podcasts and then I kind of learn from them and take some of that in. So the, the main thing with my space is I try to also keep it on topic. People always love to branch out. They go on their tangents. <laughs> yeah. They get in fights. There's no fighting on my spaces. There's no like <laughs> raising voices. There's none of that. Mm -hmm. uh, funny stories. I mean, I don't know if we have like too many funny stories. I would just think that the really interesting part of our spaces has been like when something big happens in the world and we're live for it and we're like uh... the first reacting to it. Like when Russia invaded Ukraine, I was live on Twitter spaces, oh, really? you know, wow. like, like literally as it happened. Wow. As they're getting reports of like, you know, the soldiers, like missiles are falling, like stuff like that. Like we're live and we're reacting to it live. So those are some of the most interesting times is when just like something major is happening in the world and we're able to kind of capture it and bring it to the audience in real time. That's super cool. Well, what was the reaction today with the market rallying 5% spy at the end of the day? Yeah, I mean, today was crazy. I was live trading from 1030 until 12 on spaces and then came back on for power hour for three to four as well. It was nuts. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really crazy. Some of those plays, uh, there were some great plays called out in the morning. Some traders came on, um, went really hard into meta upstart Peloton, uh, the Q spy, like people were kind of laying into it. I think everybody had really nice sense of direction today and continuation. Yeah. yeah, it was hard. I was on a phone call with a friend at a, one of the tier one prop firms and we were like, I don't know what's going to happen today. We just got to sit back and as traders react to the market. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely like it helps having 
a community of people to bounce ideas off, right? Because exactly. it's like, you know, someone might say, come up with this idea, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I never even thought about that. And then you can look at something from a different perspective. Yeah. So that space is- Yeah, they're my eyes and ears. Like I have like, you know, all these people that are looking at the market for me. Yeah, it helps you out. Right? things I can't see. Okay, so you talked about uh, the news stories. Um, and you mentioned you have connects at Twitter. What do you think about Elon taking over Twitter? I was going to ask that. <laughs> I liked it better before some of the things that are going on now. I mean, we just had a discussion about this on Twitter spaces. It seems like a lot of mistakes have been made. Mm -hmm. uh, one, he drastically overpaid for this company. I mean, <laughs> in a rising interest rate environment, like paying $44 billion for a company that was making, what did, what did Twitter do in revenue last year? Like $250 million? Like nothing. They, are you 250 million in revenue? That's wait, what was for their, 44 their, like, billion. They're like end revenue. Like Twitter, Twitter did like nothing uh, last year. Let me let me just look this up real quick because I don't want to like talk out of my ass. But like, no, that's insane. Can't. Paying 44 billion for a company that's doing, <laughs> and that's not even is that you mean profit, right? Yeah, I'm talking about profit. But it's yeah. to okay. get access to this. It's like free speech. He has access. Right. Like to I, I'd want to look into like what yeah. it actually ended up doing. I'm for some reason not seeing the numbers here. And I think that's because it's not a publicly traded company anymore. So yeah, I, well, I think don't have this. I, I mean, you can always go back to. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I have to. Share I have price to was. Back. But regardless, you know, there's an overpayment and then there's a panic that's setting in. Mm -hmm. Right. And we can see it really today. So Elon came out about three hours ago and said that there is a possibility that Twitter will need to declare bankruptcy. He's already put that out there, yeah. um, that there is going to be more staff fired. Um, that's been let known to people. Yeah. And I think we can see the desperation for any type of revenue from this checkmark piece, because there's so many holes in the verification system that they just started. I mean, yeah. you could look through Twitter today. There were dozens of verified accounts impersonating prominent people going viral. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you saw, there was a massive scam today. Uh, I think hundreds of thousands of dollars were scammed. Somebody just copied the Twitter account. They got they had a verified account that said Twitter on it. And <laughs> they went and they posted and said, we're giving away uh, like a year of free Twitter blue. Uh, click here to enter. And it had like 30,000 retweets. No way. Yeah. Oh because you just like anybody can get verified for 80 bucks. So they were wow. just like, all right, we're Twitter now. So that went on. <laughs> um, Was that like a phishing you know, link? Like, like, what was the link? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was a phishing link. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Wow. Wow. Yeah, and it, and it just, it, it just said it was like, I mean, they had a good, they had a good URL for it and everything. It was like twitterbluefree.com or something. Are you worried about, you know, your future on the platform? So, yeah, like, I just, <laughs> I just want the platform to still be going, right? Just, like, I'm yeah. not worried they're going to be like, oh, we need to shut down servers. Like, we're down today, you know? Yeah. I, I think that there were good things that could come from Elon coming in. I think people needed a swift kick in the butt, like getting features rolled out in a manner of, you know, time where it's like, hey, we have this idea. Let's get it out there in two weeks so we can at least beta test it. Like, that's good. Yeah. I like that idea of things coming out faster, seeing changes. And I think, you know, it needed some shakeup. I'm just wondering if they're just going too far with the experimentation. Shame. I mean, Elon Musk live on Twitter spaces yesterday said, we're not trying to be dumb. I feel like if you have to say that, like something that you're doing is coming off a little bit strange. Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I, I think it's very impressive what Elon's done throughout time. I've been bullish on Tesla since 2018. Um, there's there's been a lot of different, you know, pieces moving. And I think he's got a fascinating mind and he's trying to put something together here. I'm just curious what the vision ends up being. And I also, you know, really hope that he brings in more of like i know he wants it to be like i'm the fun billionaire who drops laugh emojis but i also like i think we want it to be run as a business too yeah and like to be efficient and profitable and all that stuff so 100%. so many questions so few yeah. answers yeah, yeah i'm actually so i'm curious to hear what you think about the eight dollar blue check mark because frankly i like you said it's the way they're running it right now isn't the best but i think and obviously as a result in you know hundreds of thousands of dollars being scammed from innocent people but you know, from a creator standpoint, uh, you know, we're on Instagram. It's really hard to get verified on Instagram. You need a bunch of press. You need a bunch of money. So we're we're not verified on Instagram, which results in a bunch of scam accounts and our followers getting scammed. So it's kind of funny how it's like twofold now. We're like, they make verification widespread and now a bunch of people are getting scammed, but then they don't do it and then people are still getting scammed. But yeah. I think if they can like yeah, really yeah. crack down and make this $8 verification thing efficient and actually verify reputable companies and individual peoples and then doing away with the scam accounts and making sure their parodies, like Elon said, 
I think it's a great idea. And it, you know, us paying $8 a month to prevent our fans and uh, subscribers from not getting scammed, I think is well worth it. So it's a two-sided story. Exactly. Now, one, just for background here, I was verified previously on Twitter yeah. uh, before this Twitter blue stuff. So I was already verified mm -hmm. uh, through the Twitter Spaces Spark program stuff, being a beta tester, being all that stuff. Like I was actually on Twitter's payroll for a few months. Really? Um, a while back. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there were, there were some good times there. And <laughs> essentially, I think that, you know, there is a right way and a wrong way to do this. We'll figure out what it is. But the problem is, you know, you're saying, yes, I can go get verified. Now my followers won't get scammed. Well, I can just create a scam account of yours, verify it. Now slide into the yeah, your followers. Yeah. And people are like, well, how many people are going to do that for eight bucks? Well, let's say I make a scam account and I get your followers. And then I literally drop at the end. By the way, you can trust this is me. This account is verified, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm yeah. probably gonna make more than eight bucks. You know? <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. That, that's what I was saying. Like right now, yeah. is it? But, but that's not even the biggest problem. Yeah. The biggest problem for this is actually that it's going to. I think Elon is on a. He's just trying to make immediate revenue, right? They get mm -hmm. 10 million people paying for this thing. They make 1.9 billion a year. They can cover their insurance expenses after the 30% that Apple's going to take from it, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's their goal. Their goal is get 10 million people paying for this and we cover our $1 billion a year interest payment that we had to take out to buy Twitter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you, so everyone should know that that exists, right? Because that's the emergency here. The problem is they're trading long-term revenue for short-term revenue. This is a short-term revenue play, but the long-term revenue, think about how many brands that advertised on Twitter with creators advertised with specific creators because they were verified, right? Like there was a lot of money that was coming through or how many brands felt like they should use Twitter because they have a verified account on Twitter and it showed off who they were, right? Like I think that all the money that actually was the big money that was coming into the ecosystem is now going to take a big damper while small money's coming in. So it's a trade-off is like, are they going to get enough to kind of make up for all that big money that they're losing by doing this? Because brands don't want to be impersonated. Right. Yeah. They 100%. don't they don't want to have people coming out like there was a Joe. There was no, 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 not even the Joe Biden. There was a George Bush account that went viral, viral today for saying I miss killing Iraqis. <laughs> yeah. Went viral with verified George Bush. No way. Yes. Yes. It was all over Twitter. OK. Wow. You think George Bush likes that that is able to be happening to him now yeah. no and wow. brands aren't going to like it either as it starts becoming a problem so elon really has to think about the trade-off between the short-term and the long-term value but he's worth 150 billion i'm not so who am i to talk <laughs> yeah no, that's interesting you want to switch up the topics and talk about trading a bit yeah let's do let's it let's go all right let's do it um so when did you start trading started trading uh, really while I was on Twitter spaces. Prior to that, okay. I was definitely more of a long-term investor, like okay. just having my passive portfolios, adding into them, DCAing. Uh, I really started trading when in mid-2021, once I was starting running some Twitter spaces, I started creating these weekly reoccurring trading spaces where we would meet on uh, Monday or Tuesday nights, every single night with this full group. And we would all run through our, we would give stock picks for the week and we would talk about the past week and we would analyze things. And that's what really started getting me into it as I was hosting these live events, because the way that I approached hosting for a long time was always, you know, I'm not, you know, the, the trader here, yeah, I'm here to I get, get educated. My job is just to ask good questions, right. Okay. And just help everybody learn. Sure. And so that's the role that I played. But over time, I realized that there was a huge demand for live trading. So I was hosting more and more and more live trading spaces. And I was just naturally picking it up because I'd made all these great connections who were awesome at trading, who were very willing to teach me on the spaces. Very cool. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, let's go back to um, your first experience, I guess, trading in high school. Did you win the challenge? Oh, I blew everybody out. <laughs> What'd you grow that $100,000 account to? Um, I think I did, it was a three month challenge and I think I did like 40%. Okay. That's pretty solid. That's impressive. I think any hedge fund would be happy to hire you. Yeah. With those numbers. Oh yeah. I think the next student made like 18%. So Dang. it was pretty good. So is that reflective of your trading now? How's it been going? It's been a tough year. Oh yeah. This year has been absolutely crazy all around. I think the best move that I made this year was... Entering into the end of entering into QT, I really decided that I was going to significantly cut down on a lot of my long-term stock positions that had grown significantly doing during QE. 
Uh, that was by far my best move was okay. like realizing that quantitative tightening was coming, not adding to those. On the trading side, certainly has had its ups and downs. It feels streaky. I don't know if you guys are like in yeah. a similar boat to that where like you go on streaks mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of one way or the other. Yep. I would say I'm definitely waiting for a little bit more of like direction. And my favorite way to trade right now is simply being on a five minute chart, watching daily view app and volume, searching for things that have super high volume on the day, maybe low float kind of plays yep. and just hopping into them when they come through and have a five minute close on VWAP taking a trade like my average trade is probably less than five minutes wow okay uh, right now uh most of them so it's a lot of just scalping that's maybe i'm going about it but certainly i've cut down uh from where i was last year happy to scale up at some point but for me like there's no real need i try to bring a bunch of people in my spaces get a bunch of ideas out there and just take like the a plus plus of those setups i like that but i think it it definitely must be hard when you get conflicting opinions based on what you're thinking. Like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, because sometimes people are long or short. On yeah, the same it's like... Sure. I mean, the only way to deal with it is learning your own system, right? Yeah, and just sticking to it. Being comfortable and like, understand, because I didn't have one for a while, right? Like, I just had to... Like, I was on all these spaces and like, I had so many conflicting voices. Oh, yeah. People who had all these different strategies. And honestly, like, I spent like several months just flipping through strategies because like, somebody else would be like, Hey, I've got a great one. Hop on a Zoom call with me. I'll show you what's going on. I'd be like on their call. And then somebody would be like, all right, hop in my Discord. Like, <laughs> you got to check this out. And eventually I just was able to kind of come down to more of what's working for me now, which is more of that scalping, um, having tight stop losses, right? Like that's like an area that works for me. Not the best with swinging for sure. Like okay. that just hasn't been a forte of mine lately. Interesting. Um, that's all that I, I think. It's, yeah. I think it's just been it. understanding like, you know, what's working for me analyzing, as I'm sure you guys do, analyzing your previous trades. So you can learn from what worked, what didn't work, yep. seeing what times of the day work best, all those type of things. And then just like leaning into, I'm, I love analytics, love data. Yeah. So what times of the day are you like most profitable? Before 11 a.m. Okay. Interesting. Cool. All right. It's cool. You know that. Yeah. Do you normally wait 30 minutes off open to see where direction's headed or do you trade off open? Uh, no I trade off open a lot. Yeah, some say. people have a rule to like wait 30 minutes. So I Sometimes, I don't know. Like if there's something that really looks really good, yeah. like I'll, I'll hop in. Like if volume is just, because a lot of times also I like to use the confluence and, you know, lining up different strategies. So like, uh, here's a good one. Um, I don't know if you know Mans on Twitter, uh, Mr. not Mr. Mans. We did a space yesterday, last night. Okay. And what we were, talk what we were talking about was, you got my audio? Uh, what we were talking about was yesterday, even during a big down day, we were looking at the tape for upstart and we saw consistent buyers coming through the tape, um, even on a down day, right? And we're like, okay, interesting. Like people are, you know, trying to pound this thing down. They just had bad earnings, hmm. but like there's still buyers, buyers, buyers. You know, let's see what happens right at the open. A minute into the open, this thing started surging. There was clearly more buyers coming in. Wow. So we loaded up there. Okay. Um, and then I don't know if you saw, but the calls ran hundreds of percent um, wow. throughout the day. Now, I'm not going to say I made that much because I took, like I said, I get in, get out. Yeah. Um, but like if I had waited, there might not have been as good an opportunity. So it's also sometimes seeing like what happened the previous day. And then if something clicks right when market open, then going in on it. And, okay. and same thing the opposite way, right? Sometimes like cutting trades as well, like right at market open. So do you trade mainly based off technicals? Yes. I trade a lot based off technicals, but lately I have also been trying, as we've been getting into a higher interest rate environment, I've been trying to make sure that like at least like 75% of the companies that I trade are profitable. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Um, so any tips as far as like trading psychology goes? Because that's a very, you know, that's a tough subject for a lot of people. You know, it's like you have your strategy which can be, you can have a 90% win rate, but you can still lose money if your psychology is not in lock. Right. That's one of the biggest ones is understanding the math between how much you can take on your losses and how much you need to make on your wins in yeah. order to come out profitable. Because if your stop loss is at 25%, but you're taking wins at 10%, you're going to feel good maybe sometimes, right? Because you can get a bunch of these little wins but you're overall going to end up losing money. So exactly what you were saying there, I think is a big thing. And then on the other side of it, I mean, 
trading aside on the investing side, that's a lot of where I think also the mental stuff comes in because it really is investing is just such a switching the mentality thing. It's not natural to want to go ahead and put money into these things. Yeah, Uh, It actually is forcing yourself the opposite way. Um, There's a lot of things. Now, one other thing I'll say on the trading side that really had to come to me from a mental perspective was not trying to trade broken charts. Uh, if I'm looking to take, you know, upswings and calls and stuff like that, I need to stay away from stocks that are in downtrends. Um, and there's a lot of ways to determine that. Obviously, moving averages, anchored VWAPs, uh, simply looking at a chart a lot of times, right, <laughs> yeah. can show it to you and just staying away. And that really protected me. Uh, one of my favorite traders on Twitter is Brian Shannon. He uh, is the creator of anchored VWAP, if okay. you've used it at all. I, um, I have so You have? Uh, it's, no, like VWAP. it's like VWAP, but you can just anchor it to certain dates and then see where it comes through on your chart. Oh, so instead yeah. of using like a daily, you could anchor it to like the low of COVID and see like from there what the average price is. Um, yes. So it's a very useful um, saying. He, he, wrote, he, wrote, he wrote a great book on it. And anyways, like one of the things I learned from him was just staying away from these broken charts. Like people were coming in all throughout the first, you know, six months of this year and just trying to grab dips, right? Like, oh, you know, it finally got down to here. It got down to here. But what I really learned from him was like, just wait for it to regain some momentum. Like, are you really that worried about losing out on five, 10% when like the downside is clearly so much larger? That's been the biggest thing for me. Uh, you know, you can look at charts like, like uh, <laughs> I don't want to put out AMC on here. And get them <laughs> that, but, you know, there's a lot of these charts that like the chart looks really bad. Like sure. it's just continued in a downtrend. Let it reestablish and regain some key technical support before you go in and try to make all these trades. Do you have strategies where you can short? Do you go short at all? Uh, I don't short stocks. I just use puts. Okay. Uh, yeah. So that's just my way to go about it. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like one of my favorite uh, shorts or push strategies yeah. this week was actually based off of the anchored VWAP. So okay. anchored VWAP works really well for me. And oftentimes it's a big mental thing because what happens is uh, as you come down towards the VWAP, and sometimes I'm sure you guys have seen this on like a daily one, mm-hmm. sometimes you accelerate the selling, right? Because people see that average price that they're holding out coming and they want to get profit, right? They don't want to, they don't want to let a, it's it's this old age old saying, don't let a green trade go red, right? Yep. Everybody kind of has it in their head. So you can now expound that upon a year's worth of data. And you could say going back to COVID lows where a bunch of buying started, right? A lot more volume came in after that. What's the average price that the person's holding Tesla at? Well, it's $181, okay? From that date of March 16th or whatever it is, 2020. So now as Tesla is coming down from 200, when it breaks 200, a lot of people are looking at, you know, what's the next level of support? Maybe they look at the 200 at 160, but I don't look at that. I say, It's not the 200 day, it's where the average person is holding because they don't want to go red. So they're all going to accelerate selling. So once Tesla broke through 200 and then broke through 190, it was a great put trade to take it from 190 to 180 because everybody wanted to get out with profit Yeah. uh, while they were above there. Now, it got exacerbated by Elon selling, but I think that it would have happened either way. So that's one of the trading pieces that I look at is really like, where are people in profit and then taking the puts to the downside or conversely, the calls to the upside, because a lot of people will basically take the same same mindset, but the opposite way uh, when they come through the anchor view up from the bottom side. So just trading around those different pieces. And a lot of people do it on the daily. I'm just trying to take that idea and bring it out a little farther. Yeah, I think that'll make sense to a lot of people. That was a good way to explain it. No, anchor. I think I'm going to check that out for sure. Is that um, something you can just get on normal like TOS? Charts? Yeah, it's on, every, it's on everything. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm definitely because that I mean, that plays more into like market psychology right yeah. and the theory behind of okay exactly. why, why is exactly. price moving and and vwap is such a great indicator because you're kind of able to get into the mind of your opponent and seeing all right you know knowing if the longs are in the money or the shorts are in the money and who's winning this battle that is the marketplace so definitely yeah there's some really good ones and i don't know if you guys do like you know screen sharing or other stuff during these or if you just want like can pull up a chart or throw it over it but maybe you'll want to like flash back to some of those charts and just show some anchored view up because sure. it is just uh, crazy how accurate it can often end up being. Um, I do remember like on the cues and spy recently, there have been times where you really, really, really can see it taking effect. Um, typical, and if anyone's listening, just like typical spots to anchor, um, all-time highs, you know, COVID lows, recent highs, recent lows. 
those are always good pivot points to anchor yeah. off of mm-hmm. as it's a, usually a high volume area. I like that. Yeah, it's super yeah we could, uh, if you want to share your screen, we could probably give you uh, the ability. Can we do that? It's, oh, it's, do you want to do that? I mean, or? It is a podcast. Uh, we, we don't have to do it now. You can flash back. No, yeah. Afterwards. If anything, Jack or Mark can send me um, yeah, screenshots. Yeah, you can throw some screenshots on. Yep. Okay. And also, if anybody just wants to learn more, if you go to Alpha Trends on Twitter, that's Brian Shannon's username. It's just Alpha Trends. Uh, that's going to be the spot where you can go and like find a bunch of this stuff. And he's always posting it on and on all different time frame charts. But it's basically the most common indicator that he uses. Sure. Cool. cool. All right. I'll check that out. All right. So let's get more into kind of like lifestyle. What is uh, what does your normal day look like? It's a good question. I'm a very scheduled person. So I hate free time. So what I do is every Saturday I sit down for three to four hours. And I basically schedule out almost every hour of my week. Oh, wow. Wow. Your calendar must look like a piece of art. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> every single week. That's, That's awesome. cool. Could we, uh, maybe obviously because of your personal life, could we like, I'm just curious to see what your calendar looks like. <laughs> like I'm sure it looks like a Picasso of like. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I need people to see it. Yeah. I, I could blur everything if you want to. I mean, it's just like. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Like, that was like me in college last year. Each one of these has like 10 more items on every page. Wow. wow. All right, no. read, read us through a couple of all, days. All the purple ones are spaces. Okay. Uh, okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, Mark saw uh, my calendar last year in college and it was very similar. And he was like, dude, what? Yeah. What was today? Yeah. Read us through your day today. Yeah. So today, um, this morning, woke up. Uh, my first base was going to be at 1030, but I wanted to be on for 930 because I knew that there was... Uh, the CPI stuff. So I got up at like 8.15 so that I could see the CPI stuff at 8.30. Mm-hmm. Just kind of basically review the numbers, see what's coming out, see initial reactions, um, shower, all that good stuff. 9.30 or 9.20, I'm on the desk. At 9.30, I have a few different calls going on, just kind of listening in. I'm in like 45 discords. Wow. So I kind of just like page through that? them sometimes and Dang. just listen to different people that I like sure. talking and trading and stuff like that. Um, so just watched the initial reaction, made a couple of moves in the morning, uh, mostly common stock moves, not not too much um, in the in the world of calls and puts. But that went on for maybe like 30 minutes. And then I went, had to get some breakfast in me before I did my space, went and made breakfast, took, took out my dog, all that stuff. 10.30, sat down, started my first Twitter space, traded for an hour and a half live with the Seeking Alpha crew, with a bunch of others that joined in. Stock Market News was in there um, and a bunch, bunch more. At 12 to 1, um, there was so much going on in crypto. So I did a crypto space talking about the current state of crypto, what's going on, should you be a buyer, seller, all those things. That ran for an hour. Then at 1 p.m., um, I ran a marketing space. I basically met this great guy last week through Twitter. He uh, is an awesome marketer, PR guy. He actually used to be on one of the Disney uh, shows. Really? Uh, funny enough, he was like an actor. <laughs> um, but he like connected with me and we had a great call. And I was like, yo, I would love to hear more from you. I just want to bring you on a space. So I just ran a full hour that was talking about marketing, PR, and branding. Neat. And I had like 10 different people. I had the former head of marketing for Atari, Sony, and Experian was on there. Wow. I've got, I had multiple PR people came on and we just had like a full workshop. Then I actually had a really cool call at 2 p.m. with a former Olympian and Drake's personal photographer. <laughs> um, and they're basically working on an NFT project, actually, that's going to be photos. This guy has like the craziest photos you've ever seen. He's got like, he's friends with like, jay-z drake diddy like like everybody wow and he's talking about he wants to make this like really cool nft project that's gonna the utility will actually be like he'll pick you up in a ferrari like take you to the club like (laughs) you'll be like shadowing him like stuff like really cool idea so i talked through with them because i do just advising for some stuff like that okay for an hour had 20 minutes went and grabbed a slice of pizza soup came back had another twitter space twitter space ran from three to five at five. I had a business meeting uh, with a couple of partners hopped on that for 30 minutes and then hopped onto this call. Dang, what a day. Yeah. You must be exhausted at the end of the day. Like it takes energy to be in front of camera. Yeah. I mean, it feels <laughs> good, but my girlfriend's making Korean barbecue tonight. So ah, we'll, there we'll you, be fine, yeah. you know, life, life will be good, but, but yeah, I like my life very scheduled, very outlined. I like to get up every day and know exactly what I'm doing pretty much every single minute. Um, wow. and then it's good that a lot of my time is spaces. Cause if I need to multitask, like if something comes up and I have to write an email, like I can do it during a space. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of that stuff kind of comes out, but my life is very scheduled. It's pretty much all day, Twitter spaces, meetings, uh, you know, making content. 
And then in the evenings, hanging out with my family, a dog, stuff like that. So just kind of like trying to work some of that stuff in. That's awesome. So what do you do for fun when uh, you're not, you know, taking over Twitter? Yeah. So I, I used to be a big rock climber. Uh, that's oh. really what I got into. I competitively rock climbed. I taught rock climbing for several years, Neat. currently rehabbing from a uh, injury. So hopefully, hopefully getting oh, back sure. into it soon. That was like a big thing for me. Sorry also like to cycle. Um, so biking is like a good one too. Uh, a lot of stationary biking nowadays because it's kind of cold. Yep. But you know, when it gets a little warmer, maybe getting back outside. Uh, good dog person. My dog hangs out. She's on my lap for most of my Twitter spaces. <laughs> um, just hanging out, like chilling. I play a lot of Overwatch. Okay, uh, nice. Now that Overwatch 2 is out, I'm trying to figure out the schematics there. So playing <laughs> Overwatch and then, uh, I mean... I'm in Baltimore right now. I grew up in Baltimore, so hanging out with friends. But more and more now, I'm trying to travel a lot. That's become a big thing for me that I really enjoy. And most of my travel is actually for conferences now. So one mm-hmm. of my goals is actually to, uh, like next year, I want to be going to and speaking as many conferences as possible. I spoke at like seven conferences this year. Yep. I'm headed to a few more in December. I'm actually going to Miami and then Paris uh, for a good amount of December, just going to conferences, speaking, that kind of stuff. Um, so really enjoying travel lately. Like I spent two weeks of last month in Las Vegas. I was in like Florida before that, just like really getting around. Wow. Interesting. Sweet. So you mentioned, um, you know, some of your goals is, are participating in more conferences. Uh, do you yeah. actively write down goals, have a vision board? I know Mark and I, we both have uh, like big black whiteboards in our office with all of our long-term, long-term and short-term goals. Uh, I can't say that I have, like, there's nothing like, that it's actually on. And maybe that's for like, I feel like one of my things is I try not to get too materialistically attached to one area. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like sure. one of the ways that I try to live is like, I want to be able to pick up and just grab my suitcase and go. And like, I'll be good for weeks, you know, if I need to. And so I think that mindset kind of makes me like stop from settling down too much. Like for me, like putting up this sign was like a big thing that I was like putting something on the wall. Like, <laughs> Because like, I don't know, I just like all my walls, like, I don't know, it's just like a very blank. And it's like purposely like that, like, because I'm just trying to like, feel like I can move around easily. But I will say I definitely um, have a lot of people that I talk to. And they will tell you that I I, I talk a lot and I tell them my goals. So because people think like after eight hours of Twitter spaces, I stop talking, but it's not how it works. I just <laughs> want to talk yeah, you got to be a talking. What person. are some goals like yeah. uh, long term, short term? So on the conference side, I really want to build up my resume there. So I've been trying to get to 10 conferences that are large, recognizable conferences that I spoke at. At that point, I do want to start um, doing more paid speaking at conferences. Yeah. So whether that's on investing, community building, audience building, whatever it is, looking to actually make that a part of my salary and, and not salary, but like income, right, is actually through being paid to speak at conferences. That's a big thing that I want to roll into. I actually have never met anybody who talked about that as a career path in their twenties. Yeah. I'm trying to become the first. So that's hopefully nice. that's something like in the next year or two, like I would love it if like I was making, you know, 50 to hundred K a year off just, you know, going to conferences and speaking at them. Cool. Um, that would definitely be a goal of mine. And then outside of that, like I want to like dominate investing Twitter spaces. Like yeah. I just want to continue. It's all about consistency. There's okay. other people that have hosted a lot of Twitter spaces. Most of them have come and gone, you know, mm-hmm. I'm still there every single day. Like people, People know I'm going to be there. They know what time I put out a schedule every single Sunday. I've done it every single Sunday for like almost a full year uh, where people know what my spaces are going to be. So just trying to like dominate that area and just grow as an investor, you know, person, health wise, all that stuff. So yeah, I've definitely got things that I want to do. I like it. I like it. Hey, can you talk about like how much these sponsors are paying you, how much you're making maybe? I I know that's kind of tough, but. So I don't want to go into numbers on here, but part of that is because it's very case by case. Yeah. Um, it depends on the industry, how many they want to buy, what my relationship is with them previously. There's so many factors. I don't have like a media book or something that I can, you know, hand up person or a website where they can go and book. Yeah. It's all done via communication with me. Got it. Okay. Interesting. Well, you talked about uh, crypto. I'm curious to hear what your perspectives are uh, regarding the future of crypto. We just had a pretty bloody day yesterday, obviously recovered a little bit, but what are your thoughts long-term crypto as an investment, commodity, et cetera? Yeah, I definitely was more bullish three days ago. Um, yep. You know, I'd started acquiring some ETH, some other pieces. Uh, I think irreparable damage has been done to the institutional uh, side of the crypto system over the last three days. Mm-hmm. FTX, 
committed fraud. They are going to lose $10 billion of customer assets. Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy to think. Yeah. Um, there were rumors. I cannot speak to this. There were rumors that uh, Sam Bankman-Fried may have been arrested on the tarmac in the Bahamas today. There were rumors that Interpol is not letting him leave the country. He basically admitted to committing fraud on Twitter this morning via tweets. I don't know if you saw, he put out a full thread, which was like a full mea culpa saying, I fucked up. It's on me. Like it is really bad what's happening there. And it's going to crash the rest of the system because what people don't understand is FTX was the backstop. They were the liquidity provider. And all we are hearing so far is about Alameda and Voyager. But how many other hundreds of smaller companies were relying on FTX to pay back loans to them, right? To give them liquidity, right? Like so many pieces are crashing. So uh, although I've been accumulating, I actually have exited a good amount of my Ethereum position. I have uh, also, after seeing USDT unpegged today slightly by 2%, uh, I moved almost all my USDC into cash as well. Uh, I moved it all off of Coinbase. I'm not getting caught on one of these exchanges. That's not happening. Yeah. Um, I think people really just need to weigh risk versus reward. My whole opinion could change in two months, right? What what value is there for me leaving this stuff on these exchanges for two months? Like whatever, you know, money I could make, I'm not going to look back and be like, oh, I wish I had done that. Yeah. I'm going to thank myself for being safe with my capital. Um, outside of that, uh, I have a little bit of altcoins, which I think may survive in other areas. I still think that there's companies that are doing good things in the crypto world. Yep. I'm very concerned, though, for the liquidity of the entire system and the money that was inflowing, I think, is going to have a significant outflow especially over the next week or two. It's going to happen when FTX declares bankruptcy. It's going to happen when they cut transactions. They also did another lie saying that FTX US and FTX.com weren't connected. They were. It's a lie. Um, There's a lot of pieces that are going to come out here. So it's unfortunate, right? Um, There is a beauty to crypto. Uh, It's a really great way for people around the world to be able to exchange money with each other. It's just hard otherwise. Like I work internationally and people don't have zelle or venmo mm-hmm. or you know cash app and oftentimes they don't have paypal right and yeah. it's how do they how do they interact crypto instantaneous low fees in many cases for a lot of coins right it was a great system that has unfortunately suffered now due to bad actors leveraging up on the goodwill of their creditors that's interesting do you want to i think the whole ftx crash and story of that's really interesting i read a few Bloomberg articles and a YouTube video learning about it, but I think you know more about it. If you want to, can you uh, well, take our viewers through the whole story, like what went wrong and like what they're being accused of, or what they did? Yeah, I, I won't put everything on here because I don't want to like make it too complicated. Yeah. But essentially, when FTX is, well, the biggest problem with FTX was that they used their own token as collateral, right? They created a token, which was called FTT. Yeah. It was the FTX token. And they made loans that were collateralized with their own token, which oh. is just oh. dumb as... Yeah. They're, they're, sorry. There's just no like... True. There's no excuse for that as a background. And essentially what ended up happening was Binance was a large purchaser of their token. They realized that FTX had made all these loans, which by the way, these loans, what happens is they're not fully collateralized, right? So they're like 60, 70% sometimes collateralized mm-hmm. on these loans. So if there's a default, things get really, really bad because wow. the collateral wasn't actually fully there. Mm-hmm. But then the problem was the collateral wasn't the US dollar, which it should have been. The there collateral was, no was collateral. a volatile token that yeah. they had created. Oh my God. And who, and who owned what? a bunch of that token? Binance. Binance is smart. They realize FTX is screwed. We don't want anything to do with their token anymore. So what do we do? We're going to start selling it off. So CZ just starts selling off FTT token in mass, realizing they want nothing to do with this. What does FTX do? They start selling Solana off, buying back FTT to try to pump their own token back up. <laughs> now that's the biggest panic move out there. Yeah, Everybody sees through what they're doing. The creditors come calling. FTX has to cut. You know, they, that, There was $5 billion withdrawn from their system. Um, in one day, right? And now FTX realizes, okay, we're in a hole here. We used a volatile token of our own creation to uh, to collateralize loans that weren't even fully collateralized. Do you see now how it kind yeah, of all like works spiral. into the system? Yeah. Wow. That's so a that's, great that's explanation. Yeah, no, you did a great job. I think 
our viewers will appreciate that. Yeah, hundred percent. That was wild. Um, what are you spending your money on? Anything like cars? I mean, travel. No, obviously. Uh, I've actually never purchased a car. Really? Uh, okay. Yeah, you, never purchased a car. How do you get around? Yeah. Um. My girlfriend's <laughs> car. Teleportation. Uh, <laughs> honestly, like I've just not really lived in places where I had to. So okay. I mean, growing up as a kid, didn't need a car. Family had a car, just used theirs. Yeah. Um, went to college in Philly. It's a city college you know you don't need a car to get around you learn how to use public transportation mm -hmm. and now it just doesn't seem like i need one i travel so much i travel every single month um so it's like my car is probably not coming with me it would just sit somewhere and here's the biggest thing i don't want to buy a car until it can drive me places <laughs> i want it to drive itself mm -hmm. i'm not a big driving person so okay but off that topic uh what do i spend money on mainly my business yeah. you know like that's All my right. biggest thing that i spend money on um, and whether that means, you know, a laptop and AirPods, right, whatever that is, mm -hmm. or my employees, or, you know, things like that, like, that's my main thing. And outside of that, travel, okay. hotel rooms. Um, but again, it's technically all for my business, because it's all write offs. True. Nice. So Saving money on all taxes. my stuff mainly is on my business. And then food here and there. Although I will say, like, I grew up um, and went through college as an uber frugal person. Um, I put myself through college. I didn't take a dime from my parents. Good for you. Um, I didn't want to deal with any of that. Uh, let them deal with their own thing. Um, I basically was able to work a lot uh, through college, pay off pretty much all my loans um, during that time. So like just always been like very frugal with money. And so now at the same time, like I spurge a little bit more because like I'm making good money and, you know, I'm sure you guys can relate. Like you start buying a few things, but like yeah. just food here and there, or, like some Ubers and stuff. The big things are just things for my company that, you know, I can write off as work expenses. So who does work for you? You said your employees? Yeah. So I have a couple of people. So one is for Instagram. So I'm just so focused on Twitter. Like I can't also focus on Instagram. So I have somebody that helps with making sure daily posts get scheduled and we interact back with people if they comment on stuff and we check our story and we check our tags uh, just because it's not my forward focus. Right. Yeah. Um, and I have multiple Instagram accounts also. I have okay. a main Instagram account. I have one for my podcast where the clips get uploaded. So we have around 25,000 followers across Instagram as well. Nice. Um, so there's like a good audience there that I want to make sure is getting engaged with, but I can't stomach having to do that every single day. Um, and then the other one is uh, just like content, like like an editor basically, like, you know, for my emails, right? For like making sure like, because all my tweets get like, not all. Okay. I, I've been tweeting a lot more live now, but I schedule a lot of tweets. It's something that a lot of people do. Like I write, you know, a bunch of tweets and I schedule them out. So my editor will help me make sure that they're scheduled for good times, that there's no spelling mistakes, that all that type of stuff, just things that I think okay. like if you're running a professional account, like at a certain point when, you know, every tweet that I put out guaranteed 10,000 people are going to see it. Like yeah. you want to make sure, you know, things are done right. Of course. That's What's cool. the uh, like average watch or how many viewers on average do you get per live space? Uh, so live trading are the most popular spaces and they get one to 2000 people an hour wow. and probably around 300 to 500, like at any given moment, like if you pop in. Wow. I feel like I'd be nervous doing like a live event. I mean, we did a couple live spaces. Yeah, we did the one but... with PB investing and um, I'm not going to lie. The first one I was like, I was nervous. I was sweating a little bit. Yeah, right, yeah. We're going live. It's the real deal. It's game time. There, yeah. There's definitely times where, you know, I mean, not nowadays anymore. Like I'm used to it now. Of course. Sure. Honestly, <laughs> I get nervous in front of smaller crowds. Really? I think like when there's like five people, that's what makes me nervous. Cause I'm like, oh, like they're also individually like watching or something. Like if I'm speaking, like I like big crowds. Like I like to speak to like, preferably like a hundred plus people at a time um, when I'm talking <laughs> that that just, it, it's how my brain works. It just makes me more comfortable when there's more people. Like when I go to speak at conferences, if there's like 15 people sitting there, I'm like, Oh, like, See, this I kind of nervous. That. Like, that makes, sitting, that, that like, makes sense. If I walk in and there's like a room full of like 500 people, I'm ready to get on stage and talk. Like that makes me feel good. Um, yeah. So it's a very different thing in my mind, but sometimes you do have spaces. Like I've had spaces where there's like, you know, thousands and thousands of people live concurrent listening wow. and those can definitely get interesting yeah i'm sure what's so what's the future you know what are your plans next three to five years with this current company will financial i think mainly what we talked about beforehand yeah. um so you know i want to be doing more in-person stuff at conferences taking Just what i've built person. on twitter and like being a main moderator like yeah. i want to be like moderating the kevin o'leary you know pomp panel right like 
stick me in there. I've proven that I can do it for years. Like that is a real role at different conferences. Sure. And then also have my own speeches and stuff. But then on Twitter, I think there is a world where Wolf expands. Um, I've always kind of had a vision for it, but it hasn't fully materialized. But like there's foreign markets overnight. Like what if I just had somebody open a space and trade foreign markets on my account overnight? Mm-hmm. Right? Like That's I'll true. be asleep, but someone else could be on there running those Twitter spaces. Or what if, you know, early morning, like I'm not up yet. Somebody gets on and trades pre-market. Like that kind of stuff. Like I think that there's ways that it could expand out and more people could become involved with the brand. Yeah, I like cool. it. So kind of on a ending note here, any tips of advice, inspirational bits you could give to anyone looking to start out either trading or just their entrepreneurial journey, if you will? Yeah, with the entrepreneurial journey, the most important part of anything that you're building is going to be your network. If you're not surrounded by the right people, you're going to fail. It's, it just is that way. And the only way to be connected with the right people is to continuously put yourself out there over and over and over because life is not, you know, it's a game of numbers. It really is. And if every single time that you see somebody that really looks interesting to you on social media or wherever you craft a good DM and you shoot it out to them, you're playing a numbers game, you're going to get hits back and people are going to end up meeting with you. And then you just have to have an understanding of how to pitch yourself directly on a thing and the, all you really need is three things. You need to have the biggest thing, which is something of value to offer them, right? Like yeah. that is something to get people into the space. I often joke with people that the the DM that gets answered the quickest is what's your hourly rate, right? Like hmm. that is like the that, but it's a, it's it's not something you should DM people, but like it is the joke is like yeah, you know no, what can you sense. offer to someone in a quick and enticing thing. Number two is what are you looking for, right? Like people, I want to know when someone reaches out to me, my least favorite DM is when people DM me, hey, can I ask you a question? Yeah. <laughs> least favorite DM out there, right? Like sure. I don't even answer. I'm just like, if you wanted to, you would, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you need to know what you're offering, what you're asking for and who you are. You need to be yeah. able to give an intro. You need to know who you are. Like you should be able to get onto a call and in a minute, tell someone like, I remember going through college, like I would just randomly ask my friends, like, what's your elevator pitch? Yeah. I just like, like mess with people, just like get them to have it down. And people start like stumbling, like, oh, this, this, this. Like, I'm I'm a bio student. I'll be like, <laughs> Do you know who you are? Like, yeah, what are you telling me right now? We were doing that last like, week, actually. Are, yeah, what you're offering, yeah. what you want, like you're gonna get so far, and then just play the numbers game. Like, I think yeah. a big thing for me was when I started watching Yes Theory, yeah, uh, on YouTube, and I was like, these guys don't don't care. Like they literally just keep going and going and going until they get a yes. And I was like, that can be me. And also a big moment for that was when I, my freshman summer came home and I needed a summer job and I got hired to do door to door sales in Baltimore city. And I, you know, nobody wants you, nobody wants you knocking on their door in Baltimore city. Trust (laughs) me. They they don't think you have good intentions is how I'll put it. And I really realized like how, to interact with people when you only have 30 seconds to make that impression, yeah. but also how much of a numbers game it was. And then if I knocked a hundred doors a day, I was going to sign up four or five people, whatever it is, like just by playing that. And that's what I just took into life, right? Like whether it's DM, so it counts like last week, I probably DM'd a thousand people, Dang. right? Like it's just nonstop, just keeping it going, shooting it out. But I also know exactly how to intro myself, what I want and what I'm offering. So all those things kind of have to be in place. That's some great advice. I lo- that was a great ending note. Um, hey, uh, would you be down to do a 30-second elevator pitch for <laughs> people like what you preach? Putting him on the spot. Yeah, absolutely. The way I roll with it is my name is Gov Blacksburg, and I'm the CEO of Wolf Financial, which is the single largest financial media company based on Twitter spaces. Over 100,000 people tune in regularly to listen live as we trade, talk about finance, real estate, and everything else in the world of investing. If you aren't already connected, you'll want to tune in so you can learn from myself and some other amazing speakers. Sweet. Okay. That was awesome. That was 24 yeah. seconds. That was great. That was I'm solid. So I was looking, I was looking at the clock. clock. All right. We'll put the link in the description to your Twitter. And yeah. you guys, go check them out. Go yeah. What's the them. at? Seriously. So, uh, Anyone listening Wolf live? Underscore financial. It is right here. There we go. Sweet. Oh, yep. Perfect. There, there guys. That Wolf. was an amazing episode. That was fantastic. That was a great elevator pitch. Thank, yeah, that was awesome. Uh, that was so, off the cuff too. I, that was I sweet. Think I, I, I put you on the spot like, there. No, that was good. That was, was perfect. Great. It kind of reminded me of uh, Shark Tank a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, we got me thinking. All right, let's wrap it up. Thank you guys so much for watching. We hope you did enjoy, and uh, we'll see you in the next one. Yeah, give Wolf a follow. Right. Thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Have a good night, guys. Thanks. Bye. Peace.